0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst Podcast. As usual, we have the editorial team of Hotel Analyst around the desk of insight for you, and we're going to discuss three items that have caught our eye from the last week or so. So joining us on the podcast are Andrew Sangster, our editorial director, fresh back from Typhoon Spotting in the Far East once more. Um, we have Catherine Dogan, our Perspectives editor, and me, Chris Bound, the web editor. Uh, So our first subject we're going to look at this week is what the big international hotel groups have been up to Marriott and IHG and uh, particularly some interesting new deals they've been uh, working on which have come to fruition just now. Catherine would you want to tell us a little bit about uh, why Marriott's lashed out on elegant hotels.
1: Um, I'm not sure lashed out is the word I'm looking for, but certainly I I imagine Melia are probably quite angry at this point, um, having looked to try and buy Elegant in 2017 and did not work out so well for them. But um, Marriott have now swooped in there because hotels have discovered that all well, the big operators have discovered that if thou will have a huge loyalty program thou will have to feed the loyalty program with the things that the people want so during the week the things that the people want are, are nice cheap clean lovely places to stay when they're going to conferences and whatnot and what they want to do at the weekend is not so much that so uh, so off to the barbados they go and elegant hotels it is Uh, for 108 million dollars good news for Elegant uh, good news for Marriott good news for loyalty members Um, particularly because the uh, airlift from the US has increased uh, the budget airlift at least has increased to Barbados in time for elegant to be able to compensate through the um what was uh something of a drop off in british guests who were slightly frighted by the site by the uh, exchange rate with the pound in recent years uh, they cheered up a bit recently because you know it's sunny over there and it's not sunny in the uk and that drives a lot of a lot of guests particularly now Marriott loyalty program members so yes and uh it's the latest in a series of these deals we've seen ihg do a deal with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, adding some uh, really very charming hotels to their portfolio, with once again the intention of feeding the loyalty members. Come and stay with us; we have palm trees.
2: Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? That some reason people don't want to spend their loyalty points at Holiday Inns in Reading. Um, yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> network effect. That's um, Morgan Stanley analysts. That's what they described. Um, the elegant deal as um, a a further example of, and I completely agree with that analysis actually, it's just driving the the wider reach of the 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 whole Marriott system and the same thing is true as well with um, IHG and Mr and Mrs Smith um, to drive that now it's quite interesting I I have I don't know the detail of the Mr and Mrs Smith program it hasn't been divulge yet but it's quite a different sort of scheme to most schemes and mr and mrs smith have a very um unusual and very bespoke way of putting people into their into their system Um, and and it's done on a property by property basis there's no sort of fixed way of doing stuff so it'd be interesting to know how um the redeeming bit works because one of the problems that you've had historically is where you've got a big redeeming property i.e it's a property where lots of people want to go and spend their points unless you've got a good deal with the with the loyalty scheme as an owner you can get royally stuffed by not having you know an adequate rate so there has to be And what has happened and it's been uh, I've spoken to a number of owners who said this um, that the, the the big Uh, Loyalty schemes have actually changed their approach here and been much more generous in terms of what an owner receives on redemption of the points. And I think this is just power just um, just shows how powerful these loyalty schemes have been um, developing one further point i think is worth making on this there's there's a small bit of speculation well oh you know we've we've seen marriott splurge on um, elegant uh, and then um, within a day or so they also spend over 200 million dollars on uh, a lump of real estate at w in um, new york and um, does this mean they're going back to that integrated model no very much not And it's just the sort of capital recycling i think what we will see a lot more of though is those smaller bulk which they were doing um, prior to the Starwood deal. So, you know, when we saw them pick up Pretia, we saw them do deals like with the AC Hotels deal. I think we're going to see those very much back in vogue now. It's clearly Meritor signaling. It's, uh, um, it's digested Starwood, and it's time to get out there crunching deals. And we're going to see more of this stuff as well from the likes of IHG um, and so forth.
0: Now then, we're going to turn our uh, attention to uh, an Another branch of operational real estate and co-living uh, as DTZ investors have teamed up with a um, developer of co-living spaces in the UK called The Collective and they reckon they're going to put together a fund to invest about 650 million pounds sterling in the sector. Catherine do you want to run through a little bit more of the, uh, the plans?
1: Yes, that's exactly what they're planning on doing. They want to use the money to acquire or forward fund uh, I think it's six to 10 assets in uh, in London with a <coughs> target gross asset value of £1 billion over the 10 year life of the fund. Um, we've had the collective speak at some of our events before and a very interesting product it is too. Um, <coughs> so, uh, so yes. Co-living, it's a thing because people, uh, particularly investors, have worked out that because everyone invests in uh, large cities, it makes it somewhat impossible for the normal human to try and live in them. Um, and We've seen various hotel companies actually in, in recent months, uh, including PPHE, invest in places for their staff to live, and this is becoming increasingly popular because they too have realised that people cannot afford to live where it is that they work, and this makes not only for sad staff, but also for sad city centres, frankly, um, and uh, and you know, trying to get around this. Are increasingly are number of co-living products which kind of tend to favor the idea that you may have a shared kitchen so you don't need so many kitchens um, and tiny little bedrooms uh, for people to stay in and it all works out well for everyone people who normally wouldn't be able to afford to do anything other than living in a series of if you're me living rooms and or dining rooms can now live in their delightful city centre rooms um, at a reasonable fee, mm, sometimes not so reasonable. Uh, I think it's been the problem in the past. Certainly, we work and their um, co living product was seen as pretty much as expensive as living in the centre anyway. But you got free yoga, so <laughs> 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 no word on the buffet, but. Um, <laughs> yes no they live, on, it, they live on they live on takeaways it.
0: this lot there's no there's no buffet they just live on takeaways
1: it's, well i'm sure so i'm sure you can get a good deal with deliveroo but yeah. um <coughs> yeah so another an interesting move in urban living um one which because it's got i suppose quite small at the moment has been getting um liable to be successful there are flaws with it obviously
2: mm. it, these the, one of the problems with some of these new emerging types of real estate have been this, the the spivvy types promoting them in the past I mean the good news here is this is a proper blue chip fund manager DTZ investors getting behind this and it's a big old number they're looking to raise a billion pounds with this they've also got quite realistic IRR um, Ambition, sort of 8% to 10%. Um, this, isn't the, this isn't the sort of thing which is going to excite opportunity funds like Blackstone or Starwood Capital because that IRR is simply too low for them. So I think all of this speaks very well to this being a long-term, um, steady um, and real thing that we're going to see much, much more of. Um, and I think sometimes it's portrayed this co-living as, as born out of the horror that is the current um property market but also i think well that is true um in terms of how costly you know buying a home is these days that there's definitely and there's a dearth of uh, new supply coming on that's true but there's also a long-term trend towards um, wanting shorter term contracts on behalf of tenants they don't want to be locked into to to stuff as they have been in the past and actually the traditional rental market hasn't been that brilliant at sorting that out because you know the standard a short short old tenancy is sort of six months maybe even a year and that does tend it's just not as flexible as the agreements that are available with these co-living people and the so-called generation rent um, they're actually quite keen on flexibility and wanting to be able to move in and out as appropriate Um, you know maybe have a six months out doing something different and then coming back in again um, without that fixed obligations which um, more traditional methods of um, uh, rent rental agreements um, have necessitate really. So I think th- 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 there are a lot of reason to think this is going to be a real thing and a very big presence going forward. And despite the, the flakiness of things like WeWork, which has you know clearly got profound problems with its business model, other more solid um, approaches, which certainly this looks to be, um, I think are gonna be quite prominent going forward.
0: Now it's time to turn our eyes to the east and have a look at what's going on in the Chinese hotel market. Um, Starting off, Catherine, by having a run over the last quarterly results from Zhou, who seem to be forever building more and more and more hotels in China.
1: Yes, they've now reached a historical high of building loads and loads and loads and loads of hotels and um, the pipeline dominated by mid-scale and upscale moving away from their traditional economy uh, end of the market. So, yes, onwards and upwards. In fact, onwards, upwards and outwards because now they have finally made a move into Singapore. So uh, small steps, but very exciting. Um, and they're doing it alongside the Ascot. So nothing needs to be too frightening at this point. Um, so, yes. We looked to see, um, there was plenty of, uh, plenty of Accor brands once again in their pipeline. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see how that relationship progresses once they move on from Singapore. Uh, I think uh, it could be some play there, but in the meantime, out they go. They have also, of course, because they're a proper growing up hotel company about which we pay, well not us personally, but the sector pays far too little attention, mm-hmm. uh, launching uh, soft brands and all manner of things. And if you look at the numbers involved in these things, 300 to 400 new soft brand hotels this year, uh, it's huge is huge
2: so expect to see them other places other than singapore yep I, I couldn't agree more with that sentiment actually um last week i think as chris has already mentioned i was at high cap which is the biggest hotel investment conference in the asia Pac re- region um in hong kong um, i sat on a panel with wazoo's fair Ye, who's the vice president of strategic investment and capital markets and she made clear that her focus um, um in terms of some of the deals she's looking at is europe now um, and what she's looking to do is to acquire, particularly upscale and luxury brands, um, not only for their European presence but also for being able to ship them back into China and and trading off the provenance of those brands have from their European connections. Um, also on that panel was Abbas Rangwal from Interglobe and Interglobe have just bought the K plus K chain in Europe and he was very bullish on the prospects in Europe as well and um, obviously that's Indian outbound capital as opposed to the Chinese outbound capital of um, Wazoo but both um, were very bullish on the prospects for for Europe and the opportunities there are in terms of consolidation and of course as investors they're coming in with quite different mindset to uh, a lot of the waves of capital we've seen coming in and they're not looking for that necessary you know the classic five to seven year hold patterns of the typical private equity players they they're quite willing to hang on for a lot longer, um, and they they make purchases based on more strategic reasons than simply that, you know this is a financial opportunity and a financial return opportunity. So I think I think there is as a different approach here, and we're going to see a lot more action in Europe from from these capital sources. And it was what was one of the things i noted at icap with a number of people from london from the brokerages and so forth who were out there chatting on the sidelines um talking to this capital um and no doubt um um lifting the you know their their sleeves to to show a few of the opportunities which they've got on their books at the moment for this outbound capital um separate to that i think which is super exciting i it's, it's worth making a remark on hong kong which um obviously is having something of a problem at the moment um with the protests i i went there i arrived on tuesday and left friday and actually there were no protests at all they're entirely confined to the weekend but it was noticeable how when i was last in hong kong two years ago and it was noticeable how much quieter it felt i mean it was quite buzzy on thursday night there and i think the the thursday nights is the new friday night for for hong kongers um but um even that is still fairly subdued to how it was and I, d- I do fear for what Hong Kong is going to be going forward because I think the what Hong Kong represented initially when when the handover occurred in 97 um, it, the People's Republic of China um, the mainland China that it was important in terms of capital markets access and in terms of a gateway city to the west that PRC has much less need of that now. The growth of cities like Shanghai, Ningbo, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, which all have stock markets. Well, certainly in the case of Shanghai, it's a much bigger stock market than Hong Kong's. Shenzhen's not too much shy of Hong Kong's. So that that, that capital markets piece is less there now. Um, And the gateway for foreign investment and so forth is much less now. Um, So, you know, mainland China needs Hong Kong um, much less than it did, and the, the sentiment generally there was actually look, mainland China is just going to wait this out with the protesters and let let Hong Kong wither on the vine really. Um, while this is all going on, you know there was it's sort of chatting um, on the sidelines. It was clear that there's a lot of um, um, police presence. In, there's a, the police presence is increasing. They're using stuff like facial recognition um, picking off the protesters and there's an expectation that gradually it will sort of die out a bit like the Gilets Jeunes in Paris they'll just wait it out we're not going to see a repeat of Tiananmen Square with the tanks going rolling in Um, but in the meantime of course Hong Kong is suffering Um, the hotels are suffering but business and trade in general are suffering retail is spectacularly down in Hong Kong now um, and Hong Kong I think is is going to be unless something radical happens in the in the next few months is going to be a shadow it's of itself um, for the longer term And it's very difficult to see how hong kong status with having this 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 one country two systems and it being the second system um you know, why does the prc need a second system um it could just start turning hong kong into a, the same system it's got everywhere else
0: Ooh. And on that scary note, it's time to finish this week's (laughs) podcast. So uh, thanks for staying with us. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.